0: The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for His kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow our Facebook page and visit shadygrovepca.org. Let's give attention to God's Word from Psalm 42. This is a mascal a teaching. And it says, of the sons of Korah. And if you remember in Numbers 16, Korah um, was a rebel. And the, the ground actually opened up and swallowed him. And he was no more. But God in his grace spared the sons of Korah. And they've written some of the great Psalms. And this is one of them. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food, day and night, while they say to me continually, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you downcast, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock. Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me continually, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O oh my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. We pray again for us. Lord, we do say to our own souls today to hope in God. And we ask that you'd lift up our heads and our hearts and our spirits. We ask that, Lord, this word, which is truth, would you would sanctify us in it, that we would hide it in our hearts, that we might not sin against you. We ask that, Lord, you would show us your face, the light of your countenance and your goodness, your steadfast love. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As I've mentioned, I've been reading scripturally Scripture differently looking at the questions and then looking at the responses of faith. And there's a few questions in this text, is there not? And I love how the Scripture is full of a dialogue. It's the dialogue of people asking questions and God responding. And sometimes God is the one or Jesus is the one asking the questions and we respond. And I hope that you see Scripture as very much a dialogue and not a monologue where he's the bridegroom. And we are the bride. And so often, uh, scriptures, with the questions, the questions are, are powerful, and they're meant to sink certain truths into our heads and to remind us. And sometimes they're kind of humorous. You know, as I was reading through the Gospel of John, and, you know, it begins with, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, come on. And, and Philip says, well, come and see. And it's just an introduction. Read the Gospel of John. Come and see. Get to chapter 2. It took 46 years to to build this temple, and you're telling me in three days you're going to rebuild it? Three days? Who do you think you are? Well, keep reading. Next chapter. What, am I supposed to enter mother's womb a second time? What do you mean, born again? What are you talking about? What, do you think you're greater than, than our father Jacob? He built this well. Who do you think you are? Jesus is constantly got a great answer to these questions. You know, in chapter 5, Jesus asked the question. He says to a guy who's been laying there for 38 years by the pool of Bethesda as an invalid, do you want to be healed? No one can even put me in the pool. Nobody can even help me. Then how about chapter 6? When he say, they say to him, what sign are you going to do? I mean, are you Moses fed us in the wilderness for 40 years. I mean, what can you do? You think you're hot stuff? This is after he fed the 5,000. In chapter 7, they want to know, well, this guy's never even studied. How can we learn from him? How can he have such learning? Who is this guy? We're offspring of Abraham. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you think? You're you're greater than our father Abraham? Who sinned? This man or his parents? And then, who healed him? (laughs) Where is he? Who is this guy? Got to love the Gospel of John. In chapter 10, they say, well, he's just, he's demon and insane. Why listen to him? And then, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. And then, of course, we got to the questions in chapter 11, where Jesus is saying, do you believe this? Do you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life? Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? That's just half the book. How's the Gospel of John end? It ends with a couple great questions, doesn't it? Where Jesus actually comes to, to Mary. Where, just tell me where you've put him. Tell me where you've put him. And Jesus looks right at Mary and says, woman, why are you weeping? Just tell me where you put him. And find Mary. And she gets it. And the lights come on. And then the story ends with three riveting questions. Simon, son of John. Do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love him this morning? you also feel like you've maybe failed him like Peter? Do you wrestle with your own questions? Well, Psalm 42 has got three big questions. There's a when question, a where question, and a why question. The when question is verse 2. When shall I come and, and more I think literal reading is when shall I come and see his face? When shall I come and see his face? When will I be again with the people of God and worship? The where question is the taunt of unbelievers in verse 3 and then again in verse 10 and twice in the text the taunt is where's is your God? Where's your God? And the when and the where questions lead to the why question. And there's actually 10 why questions if you consider Psalm 42 and 43 as one psalm. But the why question is, why are you cast down on my soul and why are you disquieted within me? But if you read the two psalms together and count all the whys, there's 10 of them. So let's consider the questions. When shall I come and see his face? The psalmist is experiencing an exile. He's thirsting for God like this thirsty deer pants for the flowing streams. This deer needs water. So pants my soul for you, O God. I want to be with you, God. I want to be with God's people. I want to be in your presence. I want to sing your praises with the saints. And many of us haven't been able to do that since March. And many of you are at home wishing you could be here. And you feel this acutely. The psalmist is in some kind of exile where in verse 6 we see he's not in Jerusalem. He's not at the temple. Where is he? He's in the land of Jordan. He's far from the temple. We don't, we're not told why, but we know from his recall in verse 4 that he can remember when he used to be singing the praises with the multitude, the multitude keeping festival, this joyous occasion, and he isn't there now and he remembers when he used to lead them. And forty-three-four says that he plays the lyre, so he must have been a full-time praise member we got to praise him with the lyre, and he was once on the inside, and now he's on the outside. He was once leading, and now he's on the shelf. And now he feels like he's in exile. God often designs sufferings like this in such a way that our, that our heartache, and I, can, I can't explain this, but our, our heartache is often acutely uh, tied to our unfulfilled desire. The person who's lived his whole life to get into medical school doesn't have the score on his MCATs to get there. Or the person who's lived his whole life to be an accountant can't pass the CPA test. Or the person who wants to be married so bad remains single and all of her friends get married. Or the one who really wants to have a child is not able to have children. The one who really wants to adopt has a spouse who who doesn't. Or the one who really... Wants to be a ministry, doesn't have the external confirmation or the ability to pursue it. The one who really wants to get to the single family home, can't afford it. Or the one who really wants the promotion is the one who's passed over. The one who really wants to fly the jets in the military, has a problem with his vision and can't pass for medical reasons. The one who really wants to go to the mission field is now restrained. Restrained for some reason and can't get there. The one who really loves to run can no longer run anymore. The one who really loves to sing is no longer able to sing. The one who really loves their parents no longer has them. Why is that? Why does it seem to hurt the most where it stings at the deepest heart, part of our heart? God has his purposes. And God has put his people in exile for various reasons, but he, he ultimately is tuning our desires, tuning them so that they turn to him, so that we are crying out like the deer, panting for God. Notice the psalmist in the midst of his exile. What does he want? He wants God. Matthew Henry, in his commentary on Psalm 126 about exile, he says this, God sent them, or God's people, into captivity, not as dross, to be put into the fire to be consumed, but as gold to be refined. He has us in the furnace. He puts us in the furnace not to consume us, but to refine us. And that longing is burning in us as we have not been able to gather as as we once did since March. And I hope that you see that that this longing is not just producing a longing for us to meet back together again. Isn't it producing a greater longing? A longing for the whole world to be right, for a new heavens and a new earth where we're with all the God's people and all the elect from all the centuries and all together and all in love. Isn't that more what we're longing for? And to see God face to face isn't just to come for communion, which we come today, which is great, but isn't the greater of what we long for when we partake of that communion to see him face to face and to sup with with him. Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians 13 in the love chapter, For now we see in a mirror darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. But meanwhile, the psalmist isn't eating well, is he? What's his diet? His diet consists of tears, verse 3. Tears and day and night, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Whenever the taunts of the enemies, the taunts are being employed in the Psalms, they, they make fun of God's people. And, and, and they wouldn't be saying to him, where is your God, unless something was obviously wrong with him, unless there was some type of affliction going on, like Job. What's wrong with you? You know, where's your God? And we live in a time where there's so much division in our country. Another shooting this week. How many times do you need to shoot a guy in the back? Division about the present problems in our cities. And you have such division even as you hear the DNC and the RNC. They, I think they really believe that if you don't vote for their candidate, it's the end of the world. It's either the end of democracy, the end of diplomacy, The end of uh, your Second Amendment rights, the end of protection, the end of safety. I mean, you're just hearing it's the end of the world, as you know it, from either candidate. And I think the scary thing is that people in the church start to really believe that. And their hearts start to get more tied to that. Then wait a minute, isn't God still on his throne and in charge of his people? Of course he is. But when people look at the church, they want to know, well, what does your church have to offer? Why isn't the church doing more? Why doesn't the church speak out more? I get asked that a lot. And you all are just as divided as well. Sometimes people ask, well, and how many denominations of Presbyterians are there? Like, we're, we're pretty divided too. Well, we've got the EPC, the ARP, the OPC, the RPCNA, the PCUSA, and the PCA. And there's others. I'm just naming the top six right off the bat. And when it comes to this issue of of racism, you still hear that the most segregated hour of the week is 11 a.m. Sunday morning. And MLK said that 50-some years ago, and it's still an issue. And so where's your God? Where's your God? And then this week, leading Christian college, where's your God? Is Jerry Falwell Jr., isn't he one of yours? Doesn't he claim to be a Christian? And isn't this the flagship Christian college, one of your flagship Christian colleges? Where's your God? And don't you all even care about science? I mean, you got some big name preacher that their church meets and they don't even socially distance or wear masks. And do they really love their neighbors? And who wants to be a neighbor to them and go home and shake hands with them or be near them after they've just congregated thousands of them with no masks? Where's your God? Well, the psalmist in the midst of this chaos of his day where the enemy is taunting, where's your God? He says, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have have gone over me. What's he describing? You know, it reminds me of the scene from the movie A Quiet Place, if you've seen it, where where the father and the son, they're finally at a place where they can make noise. And it's a waterfall, and they can make all this noise, and the enemy can't hear them. Well, here the psalmist is in the roar of the waterfalls, and deep is calling to deep, and nobody's listening, and he feels like he is drowning. You see, water is represented in Scripture as chaos because of the storms. And when the Bible says in Revelation that he saw the new heavens and the new earth fall away, and and it says the sea was no more. It doesn't mean there's not going to be any beaches in the new heavens and new earth. It means there won't be any hurricanes, there won't be any typhoons, there won't be any tidal waves, there won't be any storm surges like we saw this week. There will be, the chaos will end, and the fall will be no more. Some years ago, some years ago I was kayaking With a deacon i thought i could kayak because i went downstream kayaking and thought i was good and so when you do real kayaking you actually go upstream and play in the rapids and uh we were playing in the rapids supposedly well my kayak capsized which wasn't anything new the problem this time was the pull cord string could not be found it had not been put back properly where it should have been and so i'm reaching for the pull cord and I'm at Great Falls, you know, at the main kayaking spot. Um, some of you guys have seen it on the Potomac. And I'm underwater. And I'm nobody can hear you. You can't scream very well underwater. And all of a sudden, you're just in the absolute chaos of upside down, in the rapids, and you can't get out. And when I finally came to, I finally just ripped the whole... Uh, curtain or whatever the skirt off of the kayak and got out and i came bursting out of the water for air and a couple of kayaks came over and they, and they said yeah we saw you down there still squirming so we knew you were okay <laughs> Thinking, why didn't you come get me we knew you were okay we could see you squirming down there you know i was in serious distress and uh, jeff looked at me and said are you done And that I'm done. And I mean literally done. I haven't been on a kayak since. That was the end of that. Well, that's the idea here for the psalmist, is that the deep calls the deep, and the roar and the waterfalls are breaking over him, and it's just absolute chaos. And yet in the midst of this, the psalmist is exercising faith and hope. Look what he says. The psalmist sees the breakers and the waves as what? Your breakers and your waves. The psalmist knows who rules the wind and the waves and the storms of his life. And even though his food day and night is tears, in verse 3, look at verse 8. He says, by day the Lord commands his hesed love, his steadfast love. And at night his song is with me. He's still singing a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, how has he describe God in verse 9? My rock, my rock. He's still leaning on the Lord. And yet he's crying out, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? And sometimes it very much feels like the Lord has forgotten us. But what the psalmist learns to do is to, is to talk back to himself. And this is where the famous quote from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, which he wrote in 1965 in his book, Spiritual Depression. And in his book on depression... He, he has a couple different reasons of why we get depressed. And he says some of them is just our temperament. Some people are more inclined to depression or melancholy than others. And he says sometimes there's physical conditions. You know, obviously if our, something is out of whack or we're not eating right or we're not sleeping or our thyroid's messed up, certainly there are physical things. But then there's also what he calls a big low after a, a super high or what he calls a down reaction after a great blessing. And his example is Elijah after his great victory at Mount Carmel. And then when you, I was reading the story this week of Elijah, it's really funny. I mean, he thinks, I, only I am left. And everybody is just forsaking your covenant, tearing down, uh, building up altars. Everybody's in idol worship, but I, only I am left. He says that twice to the Lord. And the Lord finally says, okay, go and anoint Elisha. Like, you're done. Got other business to do. But he's very depressed. Well, what um, Martin Lloyd-Jones also says is that some depression is an attack of Satan. And certainly his strategy is to get our eyes off of God. But depression often comes from just unbelief. And I think that's what was happening with Elijah, is that he he began to see the world and everybody was the problem, and he thought he was the only righteous one. In reality, how many were left? There's seven thousand people who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. God still had his people. God's still building his church. And the main gem of the book of spiritual depression is right here. He says this, this is Martin Lloyd Jones. He says, I say we must talk to ourselves instead of allowing ourselves to talk to us. Do you realize what this means? he says i suggest that the main trouble in the whole matter of spiritual de- depression in a sense is that we allow ourselves to talk to to us instead of talking to ourselves he says am i just trying to be deliberately paradoxical far from it that this is the very essence of wisdom in the matter have you realized that most of your unhappinesses in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning you haven't originated them them but they start talking to you they bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody's talking. Who's talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you so disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. And so he rebounds and preaches back to himself. He's preaching the gospel to himself. And I would say it for us as the church is that that's sometimes how we have to encourage our brothers and sisters, and that's how we have to fight for our brothers and sisters as well. We need each other. This is a time of exile, and when you see somebody is in exile, when they're in chronic pain, chronic back pain, a surgery, cancer, a disease, someone close to them has died, an elderly person who's shut in and can't have anybody come and see them, They're in exile, and we have plenty of those right now in our church. What should we do? We can pray for them. Pray that, Lord, they would hope in God and that their souls would not be disquieted, that God would give them the faith and the strength that they need. As we come to the table this morning, as we come to the Lord's table in communion, I just want to remind us that these psalms, when you read these psalms of lament and you even read these exile psalms, In the psalm of discouragement, can you see Jesus here in Psalm 42? Do you see that Jesus experienced exile that none of us will ever experience? Jesus experienced our hell for us. He was cast out and cast off, and he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His food was tears, and his blood was draining out of his head in the garden as he knew what he was getting into. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross so he could go to the altar and to God his exceeding joy, from Psalm 43. He went through the ultimate exile so that we in our exiles and our loneliness and our alienation, we would know that it's not angels that he came to help. He came to help the offspring of Abraham, he tells us in Hebrews 2. He had to be made like us in every respect so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, to make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help you and I this very morning who are being tempted. Let's pray together. Lord, now as we come to the table, Lord God, we thank you that you are here in our midst. We ask that you would be honored we ask that You would exalt Yourself. We ask that, Lord, You'd remind us of Your loving kindness, Your great love. We ask, Holy Spirit, that You would remind us of all that we have in Jesus. For we ask in His name, Amen. Now, we haven't used these communion packets before, and there's, there's actually the bread is on the top and the cup is on the bottom. Okay, and so we're going to do the the bread first, and then you have to peel the first layer back. Okay, and then we'll get to the second one. But let me just remind you as we come to the table, this is for all who love the Lord Jesus in sincerity and in truth and who've gone forward with their faith publicly. Uh, Typically that's in, in joining a church. Some of you haven't had the privilege yet to even join our church. But if you're a covenant child and you haven't yet been received by the elders we would ask that you wait until you give your your testimony and profession of faith in the lord jesus and if you're struggling with sin this tables for you but if you're a hypocrite or like judas it says it actually when he took of the bread satan entered into him this is a this is a sobering thing and so we're not to eat and drink judgment on ourselves but it's for sinners but it's for sinners who believe they know where our Savior is. He's the one who died for us and paid for all of our sins. And so here are the words of institution. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. the bread that we break is it not a participation in the body of christ in the same way after supper our lord jesus took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes it's a new covenant in his blood drink Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you gave everything for us and have given us new life in yourself. We thank you for paying for our sins. We thank you that you've been raised from the dead and that you are bringing in and ushering in your kingdom now. Help us by faith, Lord, to see what we cannot see and to live for the world to come that's breaking into this one. Give us perseverance. Help us to love our neighbors well. Help us to go forward in faith and in hope and in love. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.